Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. People are like, okay, I want 100 million. What's the first step? And I say the first step is to get your health in order. No financial stuff, no breaking into investment banking. You're going to make sure that you're moving every day. You're eating whole foods. You don't eat sugar. You don't eat processed foods. And that you connect with people and you get good at connecting with people using something called micro moments of connection. If you have those real feeling of human connection every day, even if you're working long hours, it is incredibly helpful for your mental health. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Are you tired of sacrificing your happiness and health to pursue wealth? Well, we have great news for you. In today's episode, we have a special guest, Emmy Sobieski, COO of Competitive Storytelling and a career coach. Emmy is here to show you that you can have it all. She'll share powerful strategies for achieving financial success without compromising your well-being. From moonshotting your career to debunking hustle culture, Emmy's insights will revolutionize how you approach wealth. Get ready to prioritize your health and learn how to build extreme wealth. This episode is a game changer, so don't miss out. Let's dive in. Hey, Emmy, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. I'm super excited to talk with you. Before I get into uh, hitting you with questions, I'd love to just start out with sharing a little bit about what you do professionally and a little bit about yourself. So I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Competitive Storytelling, and then I also run a coaching business, a $100 million career coaching business. My background, I was an institutional investor focused on technology in the public markets for 25 years. I ran the number one fund in the world in 1999, up 495%. And then in the last five, seven years, we shifted over to corporate and have had VP roles and COO roles in both Web3 and other types of tech-focused startups. And as well, I'm an angel investor. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. I got to be honest, when I heard about you, the $100 million careers, obviously, is what kind of caught my attention. You have a book, $100 million careers, the fastest career path to wealth beyond your wildest dream. So that caught my attention. What took you in that direction? I mean, why $100 and and is this applicable to everybody? I'll answer the last part first. It is not applicable to everyone. And it's a funny book because in the first chapter, it says if you want to work 40 hours a week and have complete balance in your life, this book is not for you. Stop reading it now. I mean, I am very upfront that this book is not for everyone. And how it came about is a strange thing. You really, when people talk about book writing, you've got to come up with that catchy title first, and then you fill out the book. Mine was the opposite. I had created an investing course based on all of my years in investing. And in that course, it was like, here are the five careers that you could 
pursue within investing. Here are five that I recommend and that have the most leverage that you could make a bunch of money in. And everyone that took the investing course kept commenting that that career section was super interesting. And a friend of mine said, hey, Emmy, at this point in our careers, we both should have books out there. So I hired a ghostwriter and said, I think that this piece, there's something in this piece. So we actually created the book around those five careers. And then he said to me, what do you think the title is going to be? And he started trying to come up with some titles. And I loved Alex Hormozzi's $100 million offers. I love that title. It's very clear what you're doing, you know, what, what you're getting. And then I thought, you know what? I have two friends who are 50 who are worth more than $100 million. And I've got a whole bunch of mentees who I have coached to three to five million exits before the age of 30, and they're clearly on their way to 100 million. So this book is actually a blueprint for people wanting to have $100 million careers. So it's not even a clickbait. It's just that, you know, there's 25,000 self-made households that are worth over 100 million in the US. And it just doesn't have to be the people that knew someone to tell them how to get on a board, you know, the people in New York or Silicon Valley. It could be anyone that's willing to do the work. So I know a lot of people when they hear the the figure 100 million, they're like, I don't even want that much. I want, you know, 5 million, 10 million, whatever, or I'm not even capable of that. What's your thoughts when you hear something like that? This is going to seem like a complete non sequitur. Okay. So I, I ride horses. I was uh, ninth in the 2005 World Cup trials to give you an idea of how passionately I ride horses. Wow. And so I was visiting a barn to maybe buy some horses in, in Europe. And I was in Holland. And this woman was on the Dutch team. And the Germans had won every Olympics, individual gold and team gold since 1952. And she had, it was in Holland, she had a great horse. And so she made it her goal to win an Olympic gold with this horse, which, which was almost like unheard of that you could beat the Germans. I mean, just unheard of, right? Not only did she do it once, she did two Olympics in a row. She won the individual Olympic gold. And I visited her three weeks after she won that second Olympic gold. And she was in a dark room upstairs in the barn, completely depressed. She said to me, Emmy, I have no motivation to do anything, to move, to, to go anywhere. So she had undershot her, her goals. And so my message to everyone is moonshot your career because the human, us as human beings are so incredibly extraordinary. You can exceed your goals and then you'll end up in this place where you have no motivation. And it's much, much harder to rebuild a whole nother set of goals midway in your career, rather than just having like completely unrealistic, unrealistic career goals at the beginning. And then of course have realistic milestones that you can celebrate. So you don't always feel like a failure, but have, you know, moonshot your career, make it be something that just seems so impossible because you'll probably overshoot that. And it just takes so much more effort to come up with new goals. So think big. Really big. Really, really big. big. Really big. I like that. Okay, I want to step back. So you, you know, opening book talks about, hey, if you want to work 40 hour a week and have a good life, essentially, or easy life, maybe I should say, maybe this book isn't for you. So then the natural thought is, you know, we're in the age of work-life balance and, you know, having things in moderation and even talking about four-day work weeks and things like that. So the first thought is, well, does that mean you have to 
Is that 80 hour weeks you have to work? Is that, I mean, am I asking, I'm probably even asking the wrong question. If you have to ask a question, maybe, you know, it doesn't fit for you. But the common question is who does, what should someone, if they want this $100 million career or anything close to it, what do you have to sacrifice? Can you kind of paint that picture? Well, first of all, I don't believe you have to sacrifice anything. Okay. So I want to redefine balance here. Okay. Because I do not believe in the hustle culture at all. That is just working to stay busy and fill your calendar. And on a daily basis, I say the job of my calendar is not to fill it. That is not why I have a calendar. My calendar is so that I know where I need to be at certain times, but it is not to like need to be places all the time and be in a hustle culture. So I do not believe in the hustle culture at all. I believe in working like a lion where you lie around most of the time, you rest, you take in. Now, of course, I'm at the second half of my career that I can afford to do that. But, you know, and then you really work hard when it's where you're going to get outsized returns for that work. So that's what I believe you should be doing in kind of the second half of your career. What I say in my book, which is really strange because people are like, okay, I want 100 million. What's the first step? And I say the first step is to get your health in order. No financial stuff, no breaking into investment banking. You got to make sure that you're moving every day. You're eating whole foods. You don't eat sugar. You don't eat processed foods and that you connect with people and you get good at connecting with people using something called micro moments of connection. If you have those real feeling of human connection every day, even if you're working long hours, it is incredibly helpful for your mental health. So then you have your mental and physical health. So in my mind, that was my balance. My balance was that I was pursuing bodybuilding and I was pursuing horseback riding and I was pursuing marathons, et cetera, while working very long hours. And so it makes it different because you have the stamina to do it. And if you're doing something super exciting and super interesting, like working at a hedge fund and making big money decisions or whatever it is, it doesn't feel like 80 hours a week, especially if you move every day, you eat healthy and you connect with those that you love. Can you define what's a micro connection? What is that exactly? So there's a woman and she actually applied this to her own life. Her name is Dr. Barbara Friedrichsen at University of, uh, it's like UNC Chapel Hill. And she found through studying, you know, brainwaves, et cetera, that love is built through accumulative micro moments of connection. And that is a moment where I'm taking 100% of my attention and spending it on you. And the best at this in the world is likely Bill Clinton, right? Anyway, so that is and I, I have stories of Bill Clinton, et cetera, because I, I was he was keynoting where I was on a panel. So it's not these grand gestures. You think, oh my God, I'm going to be working 80 hours a week. I'm going to lose my marriage, or I'm never going to, you know, meet someone during that time because I'm going to be so busy. But it is, it's five minutes on the phone, it's three minutes on the phone, and it's really listening, and it's not looking at something else at the same time. That means so much more to that other person than a half an hour or a big fancy dinner while you're checking your phone the whole time. And so it's like really compressing the time, but have giving that person that that person is the only person in the entire world that exists in that moment. And if you can do that, that person feels such an incredible bond. And then you just you cumulatively add all those up and you actually increase the strength of your love bond between you and that person. And it can be as friends, as colleagues, or or as husband and wife. 
that you can build that connection that way. So undivided attention. So, you know, I think it's a big thing, the core thing I kind of heard, you know, not texting and, you know, doing three other things. It's really that quality connection. Yeah, and not pretending, right? Not just like, oh yeah, I'm here to listen to you until you get finished so that I can talk. It's not that. It's asking follow-up questions. It's it's literally like this person is the only person in the world, the most important person in the world during that moment. Got it. Okay, so I want to switch gears here. Two types of listeners generally. Oftentimes, I'll have listeners that are wanting to start a business or recently started a business. They're early in their journey, typically don't have a lot of assets, just getting going. And then the second part of the audience, which makes up most of my audience, they have typically somewhere between one to $10 million in revenue business they're running. They're dealing with typical scaling issues of how to make their business more efficient and getting to the next level. Can you kind of take those two scenarios and how would this fit in for them? I know you have like the three steps. Can you kind of bring maybe like the people just starting out? I think health might be the first thing we talked about for them and where where they should go. And then maybe someone that's a little more established what they should be looking at. Yeah, yeah. So to your health comment, I actually have a pyramid on my website and it is the same as a dressage training pyramid. And it is like building the pyramid of your career. And if you don't have your health, which is the base of the pyramid, you can't move up. You can't go to the other things. And so whenever you're like, oh, things aren't right in my life, you look and you go down to the lowest end end of the pyramid that's not working and you fix that layer first and you go up. So the health could be the case for someone mid-career, early career, anything. It's got to be your base before you, it's like, don't pass, go. But this $100 million careers is on a continuum or a timeline. And I talk about the framework as the three Bs, break in, build equity, and break out. And even to be, if you if you say, well, break in, so I have five careers that I talk about, the one that's relevant for, and so there are a lot of financial careers, but the ones that are relevant for your audience are to build a company. So you would break into working at someone else's startup that's really great. And then later you could also break into being on a board director. Let's say you go into someone else's startup and you learn about how, let's say you take on a sales role and then you run a profit and loss or PL. You have a sales book where you then grew sales. Let's say you go from having a sales book to being head of sales. You grew sales from 10 to 50 million. Now you can get on a board somewhere else that wants to grow from 10 to 50 million and show them how to do it. Now you have a job. Now you have a board director position where you're getting equity while you can do your day job. These are the kind of things that you would be doing as you're thinking about breaking in. Even you think, well, I mean, board director, why would I think about that when I'm 20 years old? Because you want to build skills on your resume when you're 20, 25, and 30, that somebody that's looking for a board director, say they're looking for someone that's 45, they're going to look at your resume and say, that's the type of board director I want. So it's never too early to start thinking about what you would want to have on your resume. Because later when you're 60, it's, you know, you want to get on the board and you don't have the right resume for it. So those are the kind of things you'd be thinking about early is, Oh, you want to do what's in alignment with your personality, something that you can stick with so your career can compound, but also be strategic about how you're building your resume. So that's kind of the first set. 
The second thing goes back to the discussion about moonshotting the career, right? Which is, okay, you, you broke in, now you're building equity. And you may be building equity by having your own company. You may be thinking about angel investing in some other companies to build out a portfolio of equity, uh, purchasing, maybe all out purchasing some interesting businesses, maybe a storage business or whatever kind of business that you find attractive, but you're building, you're building equity. At that stage, for instance, in the venture capital space, Bill Gurley, who was, I knew him on Wall Street, et cetera. So he started out as an engineer at Compact. Then he got a job on Wall Street, went from Wall Street to venture capital. So he just built equity. He effectively became a partner at a venture capital firm. And now he's worth $7 billion. So you don't even need to go to stage three to make $100 million, clearly. But if you really want to have unlimited upside, then you'd go to stage three, which is breakout. And that is building your own firm from scratch or building your own investment firm from scratch. So that's Mark Andreessen building Andreessen Horowitz. That's Elon Musk. That's Bill Gates building your own company and have it having it be outrageously successful. So the build equity and breakout phases the real thing is you've done all the hard work. You've made yourself that five to 10 million. How do you keep the gas on? How do you then you know, take all that work and compound it from five to 10 million to 100 million? If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. The real thing is you've done all the hard work. You've made yourself that five to 10 million. How do you keep the gas on? How do you then you know, take all that work and compound it from five to 10 million to 100 million? So, you know, when I was looking through your book, reading it, some of those topics are pretty sophisticated. I mean, like hedge funds and even venture capital, if no one's ever done seed investing or angel investing, that's a pretty, you know, in, unless you have a network, I mean, more deals are going to fail than they're probably going to succeed. So there's just a lot of barriers there. How do people, a stat, even board of directors, if they don't have a network, it's kind of hard to find those opportunities unless during their career, they've they've networked with people like that. How does someone, do you think, like... If they're at their point, let's say that, you know, mid 30s, early 40s, they're at their point, they've had some success. How do you cross over into these channels or do you even try? I mean, what's your thoughts around that? Well, I'm a perfect example because I was 25 years as an institutional investor. And you'd think, wow, that, that would be great because people would want you in business because you've seen so many businesses. It's not true because if, you know, as an investor, if we have a problem, we sell it. As a company, if you've got a problem, you got to fix it. And so the companies look at investors like they're like fair weather friends, right? It's just like something goes wrong and they're like, I'm out, you know? So it was really hard for me to then say, okay, I'm going to break, I'm going to break in. What I did is I went in an area where there was better demand supply in my favor, which was because I went up to corporate America and they just said, you are too senior 
for your lack of experience in corporate. And I can understand that they might, if they brought me in at the level where I would learn the ropes, I would be working with a lot of 20-year-olds and I'm not 20 anymore and it might feel awkward. I don't know. You know, I mean, you can go either way or you could say it's ageism, whatever. So I just got a job at a Web3 company that needed a lot of operations and infrastructure and partnership help. And they also needed help hedging their they had their corporate treasury that pays salaries. They had that all in Bitcoin and DeFi and they wanted it hedged. And there are very few people in this world that would understand how to do that and understand the world of finance as well as the world of crypto. And so I was able to get a VP position there because I was able to do that for them as well. And then hire the right team, hire a crypto options analyst and trader and things like this that that is just very few people can actually so that's how that's how I did it and then from there I had a VP role and then I got a COO role at a startup and now I'm on my second startup as a COO so now I'm kind of like cruising along in terms of the board directors you can join groups of people that are networking groups for boards it's still going to be very tough to get on a board unless you've had some PL experience. So for instance, my book will kind of tell you the types of PL experiences that you should be doing kind of in your 20s and 30s so that you can get those board roles. But beyond that, you just you just kind of can find you can network into it. You just kind of keep chipping away. I like that. And by PL, you just mean profit and loss experience, kind of can read how a company's doing and speak to it to some level. Well, it'd be responsible for it. So that's where I was saying, like, for instance, if you just say, you know, I worked at these companies and I did marketing and now I want to be on a board, people will be like, okay. It's like, if you think about the resumes where you really want to hire someone, because boards, they're, they're, there's so few board director positions that they can be very picky, right? The people you want to hire is someone that says, please hire me for sales I took the last company from 10 million to 50 million. So you're like, oh yeah. But then if you're a company that maybe you can't afford to hire someone like that in sales, so you'd hire someone for the board that could teach your, you know, that could kind of advise your sales team on how to move from 10 to 50. So when I say P&L responsibility, that person maybe was head of sales. So, and they had, they had expense lines that they had to make sure that they hit and they had uh, revenue lines, so they were responsible for the profit and loss of the sales division. And then that level of responsibility would give a board of directors more comfort than just, we hit these sales, but we spent crazy amounts of money or whatever. So it's just, it's thinking about, can I build a resume with a couple of times where I have this responsibility that is very clear the outcome that I delivered and my team delivered so that a board would want to hire me to show their company how to do that? Got it. Got it. In terms of this the $100 million career, is there any like industries or sectors? I hear you talk about like Web3 and crypto and things like that. What are like the sectors or industries that maybe we should be focusing around for these types of careers, or is it wide open? It's wide open. Okay. The only limitation. So what I what I say to do in in the book is you want to have you want to have a role that is highly leveraged, i.e., a small amount of your work can end up with a large amounts of returns for others and therefore for yourself. So you want a leveraged role, and you want to get it get it in the right part of the macro cycle. 
And it can be in any industry that has those opportunities, that has that upswing going. And the industries that I'm familiar with and therefore I wrote about are hedge funds, venture capital, private equity, board director, and startup founder. But for instance, my mother was a screenwriter and towards the end of her career, she would take what's called executive producer, which just means that she's getting a percentage of the profit or actually a percentage of the sales of the film. And so she's building equity too. So anytime that you are, and what I talk about when I talk about leverage and look for leverage in the model, anytime that you can be in a position of one to many, like with the same amount of time, you could manage $50 million or $50 billion. You could have 10 employees or you could have 100,000 employees. So any kind of position that's leveraged like that where no, a very little more of your time and a huge monetary impact. And then you have that same type of leverage in the industry itself and the industry's on an upswing, you can make $100 million. So there's, I mean, there's 25,000 households in the US. So they're not all in tech. Got it. Got it. No, that's great stuff. Hey, I always love to end the show with one question and it's related to your journey. Like, is there some type of life tip or business tip that's something you've experienced that you could share with us? Maybe to wrap up, does anything come off the top of your head? My biggest mistake was having my goals too small. Mm, love that. I wanted to ride Olympic level dressage. I wanted to work at a hedge, you know, the top hedge fund. I ended up working at the top hedge fund in the world. I ran the number one fund in the world. And, you know, and I, and I like was nine away from qualifying for the world U.S. World Cup team all at the same time. So clearly I didn't have big enough goals. And I did go through that period of a real lull and not knowing and directionless and not knowing what's the next phase. And so take big calculated risks when you're young and then keep that gas on. So you've got to start with big, big goals to keep the gas on. Love it. That's a powerful one. Hey, um, where would you like, if the audience wanted to reach out and chat with you or interact with you, where would you like them to go? They can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter, as well as emmysobieski.com and also 100mil.careers will take you to that same, will take you to emmysobieski.com as well. Okay. And I'll put all those links in the show notes to it. Thinktyler.com. Well, hey, Emmy, you were just awesome. I love your story. I love how you've kind of, you navigated careers until you got where you wanted to go. So it makes for a really good story. Your book's an easy read. So I think you did a great job there. And thanks for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me, Tyler. It was super enjoyable. You too. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid. 
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric Acid. 